Welcome everyone. My name is Kyle Worley and I get the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Mosaic Church. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 and that's where we'll be at for our short time together today. Today marks the second Sunday of Advent here in Mosaic Church and you might be asking yourself, what's Advent? I mean, it's a perfectly legitimate question. You might be, not be familiar with Advent, but Advent is a season that the church remembers every year in the four Sundays preceding Christmas, and it's a season of waiting, a season of expectancy, of desperation, of longing. It's a season where we remember that we in the world are waiting for our Savior King. In Advent, we step into the waiting of Israel, who waited for hundreds, thousands of years for the promised King to come. And we are like Israel, and we remember that in Advent. We remember that we are waiting, not for the first coming of our Savior King, but for his second coming. And I have to say, Advent has been, or 2020 has been an Advent kind of year. It has been marked by a startling clarity that we are a world in waiting, that things are not the way they should be in the world that we live in. And everyone I talk to this year has been waiting whether it's waiting for the end of a lockdown, waiting for a stimulus check, waiting for a vaccine, waiting for the end of virtual school, waiting for the return to normal, waiting for election results. There has been waiting in almost every dimension of our life this year. But Advent is an invitation that embraces this waiting, that embraces that we live as Christians in the time between. It's not a temporary response to present circumstances, but Advent is the permanent posture for the Christian life. For the Christian, it's Advent always. This tension between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And in Advent, we don't just stumble into waiting, like a delayed package order from Amazon. We intentionally step into waiting. We deliberately try to fill the weight of longing, of desperation, and of expecting. And this year, this Advent, we have an opportunity to remember a crucial thing, that in the best of years, and in the worst of years, we and the world are waiting for our King. Though in the best of years and in the worst of years, we and the world are waiting for the coming of the King. And this has been the case since the beginning, and it was the case in the first coming of Christ. So I want to read Matthew 1.1, and then I want to tell you a little bit of the story of Israel's waiting. And I think that what we'll find are some truths that can ground the reality of our waiting today. Matthew 1.1, this is the word of the Lord. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This may seem like, wow, we're going to preach a sermon on just this first line of the gospel of Matthew. And the answer is yes, because this first line is indicating that there is a huge story that has come before it. When it says this book, this is the book, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, do you know what's happening here? The writer of the Gospel of Matthew is trying to call our attention back to the whole of the Old Testament, to the entire Old Testament storyline, which is certainly bigger than just one verse. He begins by saying the book of the genealogy of. Now, if you've studied the book of Genesis, you'll know that this phrase, the book of the genealogy of, is essentially the phrase that gets repeated throughout the book of Genesis to call attention to God's movement in the world. So when Matthew begins his gospel, the book of the genealogy of, every Jewish listener's ear goes, wait a second, where have we heard that before? Genesis. 
Matthew is telling us right at the very beginning of this, the world has been waiting for something new and a new creation is beginning now. And who is it beginning with? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Now let me pause here. Because when we think about Israel's waiting, it's really hard for us to grasp the weight of it. I know that only one page separates the Old Testament and the New Testament in our Bibles, but that one page is reflective of 400 years of silence between the voice of the prophets and the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It was a long period of time in the moments just before the Son of God came into the world. But all throughout the Old Testament, Israel was looking for a priest who could make them right with God, a king who would bring a kingdom of peace and justice for the world, a prophet who would speak to them the very mind and truths of God. And they were very clear, this priest, this prophet, this king, he would be son of David, son of Abraham. That's what the Old Testament is about in many ways, is that after the fall in Genesis 3, when the world is broken by sin, everything else in the Old Testament is about the promise that there is a king who is coming. There is a prophet who is coming. There is a priest who is coming. He would be from the line of Abraham, that's really the first half of the Old Testament, and from the line of David, that's really the back half of the Old Testament. Israel had been waiting for thousands of years. And with Israel, the world had been waiting for a true, good, and better king than the kings of this world. And so when Matthew opens up his gospel by saying the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he is telling every Jewish listener and the world through them, this is a new beginning. This is something different. This is a regenesis. There is something new that's happening in here. And who is this Jesus Christ? Son of David, son of Abraham. Let's pause here with the word Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ isn't the last name for Jesus. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew title Messiah, which means anointed one, the promised one, the expected one. It is a title pointing to the reality that the Jesus, this one that God has anointed to be the king of his people has come. And he is son of David. What does this mean? It means that he's king. He's the rightful king, not just of God's people, but of the world, and that this king will restore the world. You see, that's what God had intended to do through the people of Israel, to establish them as a people and in blessing Israel to bless the world through Israel. But Israel had failed and the kings of Israel had failed. And so the promised king would be one who was the son of David, sent by God to do what David could never do, which is to fully remake and restore and reorder the world. But Jesus the Christ is not just son of David, he's son of Abraham. He's not just king, he is covenant Lord. You see, God had made a covenant with Abraham that God would bless Abraham and his descendants and all the world through his descendants. And he's clear with Abraham, this covenant doesn't just apply to Abraham's children, it applies to the children of Abraham's children and to the children of Abraham's children's children and so on and so on and so on. It belongs to the people of God. And so to call Jesus son of David is to say, this is the king who will remake the world. To call him son of Abraham is to say, this is the Lord who loves his people for good forever. 
See, Christ has been anointed according to Isaiah 61, one of the prophets who prophesied the coming day of the Lord. He says that the spirit of the Lord is upon him because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Doesn't that sound like good news? That's exactly what Jesus does when he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61 saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, euangelion, gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads this in the synagogue and what does he say? Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus the Christ, the one who Matthew begins his gospel talking about, this is the king, son of David, son of Abraham. And it is easy for us to forget that Israel had been waiting, that the world had been waiting, that in between the voice of the prophets and the coming of Jesus, there had been 400 years of the silence of God. What happened after the Son of God came into the world? right? When, when Jesus emerges into the world, when the Son of God takes on human flesh, what happens? Does immediately, all of a sudden, everything changes? No. When you read the Gospels, do you know what you find out? That even when the world had been kept waiting for thousands of years, even when Israel had been in silence for 400 years, when the Son of God enters the world in Jesus Christ, do you know what they're asked to do for a little while longer? Wait. For 30 years, Jesus the Christ lives in relative obscurity in the Mediterranean world, apprenticing with his earthly father, Joseph, learning to be a carpenter, living a perfect life, and then there is a time where he begins his public ministry. We don't like waiting. Israel didn't like waiting. The world doesn't like waiting. And this has been a year in which it has been very easy for us to forget that we do not wait alone and we do not wait without hope. When you think about our waiting here, which is what Advent is all about, tying the waiting that we experience now for the coming of the Lord to the waiting that Israel experienced then for the coming of the Lord, Advent is about intentionally trying to step into that, to cultivate a holy longing for the coming of Christ the King. But I understand why we may want to zoom past Advent this year. I understand why we would want to rush past the waiting because the whole year has felt like waiting. This whole year has been marked by us longing that things would change, not enjoying our present circumstances. And I'm not asking you to just say, yeah, this is how it should be. This is not how the world should be. But for many of us this last year, we felt our power and our privilege and our comfort and our control, and our independence, and our autonomy, and our immortality, and our untouchableness, we felt all of those things dissipate. These are luxuries, illusions, that we, many of us, have become accustomed to living with. That life should be relatively easy, we should be relatively independent, that there should be very few limitations on our control and our comfort, and that by and large, if we run into a problem through the systems that are available in our culture, in our society, we should be able to solve it readily in a way that costs us very little. But the, these are illusions. We are people who are imminently touchable 
and woundable, far more frail than we would care to imagine. And 2020 has been a year of realizing that we don't have nearly the control that we thought we did, that comfort isn't nearly as accessible to us as we imagined it might be, and that it is pretty normal to feel out of control in the midst of a broken world. This year we've been waiting. And when I talk to people, I've heard things like this. I'm just waiting for things to go back to normal. I'm waiting for the next Zoom call. I'm waiting for rapid test results. I'm waiting for the end of racial injustice in this country. We've been waiting. We've been experiencing that waiting this year. But let me caution you, particularly for those of us whose greatest dream is that things would go back to the way that they were. This is not God's plan for the world. God's plan for the world and our highest hopes as a Christian are not that God is going to bring us back to the normal that we had settled into, but that God is bringing us into the new that he is creating. That's what Advent is all about. Advent is about saying this, even in my best year, and 2020 has been no one's best year, even in my best year, the world is not what it should be. Even in my best year, I feel a discontentment with this being all that there is. Even in my best year, I feel this longing that goes beyond anything that can satisfy it. Even in my best year, I'm waiting for the king to come. How much more so in our worst year? How much more so in a bad year? Because the good news of Advent is this. In our waiting, Jesus Christ, the son of David, he rules over the world and he will bring peace and justice. It is coming. In our waiting, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, holds his people. He will save his people and heal the world. It is coming. You see, the hope is that as we wait with Jesus, as we enter into Advent, two things will emerge. That there will be a holy discontentment that wells up in your heart. I do not want you to go back to normal if by going back to normal means you go back to being content with the best that the world has to offer you. Because I'll tell you this, whatever the best the world has to offer to you, that's a well that will run dry. And if all we can imagine is that we will go back to what was, then our dreams are small. I want you to cultivate a holy discontentment, what the Desert Fathers called renunciation, to renounce that the best that the world has to offer is the best that God has to offer, because those two are not the same thing. Holy discontentment is one of the things that Advent cultivates, but the flip side of that is a holy longing a holy longing, a vibrant hope that God is the source of all joy and a desire to see his kingdom come in fullness in the coming of Christ the King. Holy discontentment. This world, even in its best year, is lacking and a holy longing. But this King is coming and he is bringing with him all the joys of his person and all of the splendor of a better kingdom that the world can't imagine. Fleming Rutledge, she has said this, in a very real sense, the Christian community lives in Advent all the time. 2020 was a taste of that, of discontentment and of longing. But will our discontentment be holy? 
Will we be more grieved by the inconveniences of our present moment or by the injustices of a broken world? Will we long to go back to what was because it was easy for us or but because it has always been hard for others? Will we be motivated by a longing? Not just that we can go back to a time in which things were fair and free, but into a time in which God's kingdom comes and it's better. We're a place where peace and justice reign. You see, we need Advent every year. And as much as we don't want it, we need Advent this year. Because if we aren't careful, we may think that the greatest thing that can happen to us is that we will go back to normal. But Advent reminds us that the greatest hope is not that God will bring us back to what was, but that there is a time coming where he will bring us into what will be. That's what Advent is all about. The king is coming. I know, and I want it too, I know we all want Christmas. Nobody ever wants Advent. Nobody ever wants Advent. Nobody ever wants the waiting the longing, the desire, the expectation. But it's what God is inviting us into. That we would be a people who say, a day is coming. Christmas is a snapshot of that, it's a taste. The longing that you experience for that Christmas joy, it's natural, it may even be holy. But if it terminates on just Christmas, as just a moment, as a good feeling, as a good vibe, then we lose sight of it because we're in Advent. Christmas is coming, but it's not today, but it's coming. The Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the King, our Savior, Son of David, Son of Abraham, is coming. And he is inviting us in this season to become the kind of people who can imagine nothing better. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy in Jesus. We ask God that in this Advent season, we would cultivate a holy discontentment with the way that the world is and a holy longing for the kingdom that you are bringing. We pray this in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.